0: I'm back, finally. So, I found out something. I don't have any patience. Probably doesn't shock anybody, does it? I have none. So, have you noticed that I was grumbling about sports teams on Facebook and I never post on Facebook? It's because I have nothing better to do. <laughs> it's terrible. Okay, we're going to continue in our Grow is Great series today. Um, this series is, um, well I think we only got a few more weeks left. Uh, this series, we're looking at important attitudes and convictions about our faith, uh, and this series is coinciding with the uh, greatest step of faith this church has ever had to make up to date. And the reason why is we are growing by reaching and down. Uh and I mean, that's a great problem to have, but it requires our diligence, both in prayer uh, and our diligence in giving immediate attention to this. Uh, because if we're going to continue to grow, you we've know, got to grow, we gotta make accommodations for that growth. Uh, so this is a very special time to have this uh, this series. You know, we have to make accommodations like we need more parking. Anybody notice that? We need more parking. <laughs> the guy coming in covering snow goes, yeah, I, I, I noticed that. Uh, we need more seating. We need space for new ministries and this new facility is going to help us enhance our current ministries and introduce new ones uh, will be more handicap accessible and we'll have space for camps and more outreach. For anyone who knows me, uh, anyone who knows me knows I've always dreamed about doing camps. I've just always wanted to do camps. It's something I've wanted for the whole 20 plus years I've been in ministry. I want to do camps for children, I want to do camps for teens, uh, but especially for children and teens with stuff I I just feel like so many people uh, leave them behind. And very as special as anyone, and I'm excited to have that building. will give us the opportunity to do more of those things. And I'm thankful to say that that's going to make a lot of those dreams I've had for all those years actually a reality. So I'm excited about that. Uh, and so I'd love to share everything that we to said. to get a good building. For the time, to take. I'll move on. So today I'm going to talk about prayer. Uh, first Thessalonians 5:16 says, "Rejoice always." Verse 17, pray. Say that again, pray. Without ceasing. Right? In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So I titled this message today, Revealed in Prayer, because I think the only way to truly know God's will is to have him reveal it to you through his word and through prayer. So we really want to take that, especially in the big of now. Let's jump right in. Exodus 19, we're going to look at several different examples here. So Exodus 19, starting in verse 1, says in the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, On that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephidim. They came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, "Uh, Thus is the faith to the house of Jacob and tell uh, the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you indeed... Uh, obey my voice and keep my covenant, and you uh, shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of truth and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and sat before them uh, uh, and set before them all the words which uh, the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. But anyway, we will do. Uh, and Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that people may hear when I speak with, not, uh, with you and may also believe in you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. You notice he said, I will, uh, I will come to you in a thick cloud. I think that's the first time we ever got to see holy smoke. Oh, my gosh. The dad jokes got no better. I'm just saying. Two weeks to let that cure did nothing But I got more. Stick around. Take your waitresses. Okay. Now, during the time of Moses, communication between man and God was a little bit different. It was more corporate at that time. By corporate, I mean God usually speaks to a person to large groups more than an individual. Uh, but he always had someone who was the go-between, and that was Moses, which is why... Uh, Moses was up on the mountain speaking Now, the Israelites uh, were enslaved to Egypt for 400 years. And the reason they were enslaved to Egypt is because they rejected God. And when God finally decided to set them free, he made one thing abundantly clear. To be delivered, they'd have to learn to embrace his leadership once again. Because before they went into captivity, they were just rejecting him uh, all the time. Now, God didn't want to set them free only to have them start rejecting him again and rejecting his guidance again and end up in trouble again, right? Because they were known for seeking their own will over God. I mean, that was, it was pretty well known for that. So God wanted them to learn to fully surrender to his will and not to their own will. And in order to surrender to his will, they had to be in constant communication with him, which is why Moses was meeting with God. So it's no surprise that the first thing they did once he delivered them and took care of the Egyptians, Uh, The first thing he did was lay out his expectations to Moses. Now this was an opportunity for a fresh start for him. This is a a doable an opportunity to develop a healthy relationship with God. Uh, This is kind of like the fresh start that people get when they trust Christ as Savior. Remember that? Did anybody else ever feel like the day you believe, like, I got a clean slate? Anybody here feel like, maybe none of you had as much on your slate as I did? But I felt like, man, I just got this this review. If I couldn't reset on a, on a game console, you just get this redo. Now, remember, the Old Testament was full of lessons that point to the relationship with Jesus that we have and that we uh, offer to people. The Old Testament pointed to that, almost every story. Uh, and the more people allow that relationship to guide them, the more they achieve, right? Now, the concept... It's not only really still true, it's vital. It's, it's vital in the success of a believer. If we don't have good communication, we won't succeed in our ministry. It's vital. It's vital uh, and for every church, because churches, department, prayers have no success. It's just still vital. But there's so many lessons in these verses we just read, and I was trying to taper it down so I wouldn't preach for three hours, you know what I mean, unless you guys have nothing going on later, right? But <laughs> everybody's going, no, do what you did. Keep it going. Um, but um, for time's sake I'm only going to mention a couple really important lessons here uh, in just a second but first I want to set the stage Okay, Israel was in their darkest hour they were in their darkest hour so they cried out to God now remember over their 400 year captivity I'm sure this isn't the first time they called out to God I mean in 400 years of captivity wouldn't you think that they probably did a lot of crying out to God during that time of captivity I'm sure they did But evidently, this time, something was different. Because this time, they were actually serious. You know, they had 400 years to learn that their way was not better than God's way. And people are say, why did it take 400 years? Well, I guess they were really stubborn. That's what I'm guessing. Now, know this, it didn't have to take that long. It took that long for them to get their hearts right. Because this time, this time, it was different. They finally realized. I believe it. It took them that 400 years of captivity to make them realize something really important, right? And and what they realize is, apart from God's direction, they are truly lost. They finally realize, God said, you want to do it your way? Let's see how that works out for you. You ever do that with your kids? You tell them no over and over and over, and moms are a lot less likely to do this than dads are. But, you know, um, moms will say, no, honey, don't touch that. No, honey, don't touch that. No, honey, don't touch that. You'll get shocked. You'll get shocked. After about the second time, dad goes, go ahead how that works for you. Oh, that hurt hit it? Maybe you'll listen next time. Isn't that the way it goes? As My dad decided that that pain was the greatest instructor in my life, so he's like, yeah, probably should have told you to put down that mallet, but now you know. You know what I mean? That's kind of how it was. So I think I think that they realized, God just said, here it is, right? Let's see how it works out when you do it your way. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of you can't it's end is the way of. It's not up there. But it's end is the way of death. See? <laughs> you guys should be all over that. Right? All right. Tough crowd. Okay. Uh, but the Hebrew word for death that was used in Psalms 14, 12 is Mahwet. Right? Mahwet. And Mahwet is a noun that's used in this hymn, Right? And it's used to describe, in other places, the same word is used to describe a deadly disease. It's used to describe epidemics. It's used to describe plagues. The same word they use to describe death. Here. And I think, I think those definitions are appropriate because that's what our will is. That's what our will is. Seeking your own will over God is a deadly disease, and it is an epidemic, right? And it, and it's also a plague. I think it's very, very important to understand that because think about it. All of those are the results of being unhealthy. Or afflicted. I mean, those who seek their own will are usually spiritually unhealthy. They're usually spiritually unhealthy, usually spiritually afflicted. They're afflicted with this deadly disease that we all get from time to time. It's called pride. Anybody ever have that disease? That yeah, comes and goes. There's no cure, but <laughs> it comes and goes. And they were afflicted with it. It took them that long to break their pride. So after 400 years, the Hebrews finally got tired of being spiritually unhealthy. And this time, when they called out to God, they were truly seeking His will. And like He always does, when we truly seek His will, He comes through in a big way. He comes through big times. When we get our minds right about who's truly in charge and surrender to Him, He always, always comes through. Now, there are times when God may not answer our prayers and we get mad. Do you guys ever get mad when your prayers don't get answered? Be honest. Anybody ever said, why, Lord? Why are you not answering my prayers? Maybe I'm just a huge baby, because I do. Sometimes I get mad. And I'm like, Lord, I don't get it. I mean, that guy doesn't care if you live or die. And everything seems to be going right for him. Anybody ever say that? That's terrible. You guys shouldn't think that way. But, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, a lot of times we feel like, God, I just don't understand why God's not answering my prayers. Well, sometimes it's not that God's not answering your prayers. It's, it's the intent behind the prayer. It's the passion behind the prayer. It's the time you took. To think it through behind that prayer. Is this really something that God wants Is this something you want? Right? It takes a lot of time sometimes for us to be in a position where God can bless us. And that's what happened with Israel. It took a long time for them to get into a position where God could bless them. And when they did, he came through. And I love what God says. He says, I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now this is important because both back then and today, believers need to pay careful attention to this. Okay, this is really important. Because God said, I bore you on eagle's wings to remind them that their freedom was not the result of their own works. That was his way of saying Moses, remind them that the reason they're free is not because of their cunning. It's not because of their wisdom. It's not because of their politics. It's not because that they outsmarted the Egyptians. They are free because they cried out to me and I set them free. I lifted them up like an eagle would lift up its prey, even and I carried them out. It was me. I'm the one that closed the Red Sea on the soldiers that were chasing them. I'm the one that made bread come from heaven. I'm the one that brought meat into the camp when they whined because they were sick of bread. That that was me. Remind them that it was me that brought them out of it. Because I think sometimes when God answers our prayers, it doesn't take a day for us to forget that He did that for us. It wasn't us. It was Him doing it for us. That's really, really important. So we have to understand what God meant here. He was saying, it's not the strong that I lift up, it's the surrender. Right? I don't lift the strong out of the pit. I lift those who surrender out of the pit. Those that say, God, I'm here of my own doing and I can't get out. I said what I shouldn't have said. That's why my relationship's broken. I'm in the pit. I need you. That's when He lifts people up, when he surrender. I've been in this this bickering fight with my family for decades, and I just can't, well, you know what? When you get your heart right and understand that you can surrender to what I say, I will fix that relationship. I'll lift you out of the well as soon as you realize that I only lift up the surrendered. those who are willing to admit they need me. It took Israel 400 years in captivity to realize that apart from God, they were nothing. And when they laid down that pride and surrendered to God, he delivered it. So what are those main two lessons I was talking about? I think we should learn from this. First of all, when we fully submit to God in prayer, He not only shows up, He also lifts us up. And I don't know if you've ever been that low. To where you, Have you ever, anybody here been so low before that you can't even pray? Have you ever got down to pray and you're like, God, I don't even know what this say? Sometimes it's because you just know you're guilty and you don't want to fess up again. And sometimes it's because you've tried so many times to do it your way that you've lost sight of God's way. And sometimes we just hit our knees and say, I I don't even know what to say, Lord. Read my heart. I said that so many times. And when we do that, when we get to that point where we're saying, God, I'm not going to allow my fears to control me. I'm not going to allow my anxiety, my doubt to control me, I'm going to surrender to you and let you lift me above my anxiety. Lift me above my fear. Lift me above my doubt. I'm just going to surrender to you. So the first point we need to learn there is when you fully submit to him in prayer, he shows up and he lifts us up. The second thing is God won't move you until he has a plan and a path for you to follow. He will not move you until that happens. And a lot of people get mad at God because they move before God says yes. That's why a lot of things don't work. I've had people come to me before and say, I've tried to follow God, but everything I'm doing isn't working. And I'm like, are you sure you're following God's map and not your own? Just because it's good and needs to be done doesn't mean you need to do it. You know what I mean? Pray, seek God's will, and He will give you a task. He won't move you until He has a task of success for you. We just have to be patient enough to wait for that path of success. And He's also not going to put us on a path of success until our hearts are ready and willing to stay on that path. He doesn't want to put us on it for minutes. He wants us to put us on it for a lifetime. The Israel believed that they could choose their own path and it led to slavery. Right, and only when they humbled themselves and surrendered to God did they realize God has a plan for their life. You know, as we step out on faith with this new building project, we need—I have spent many nights, decades, many nights praying about this. And as we step out in this, this, you know, this new building project, we need to remember one thing: we all need to be praying that God reveal His will in this event. His will, right? Because. He will always, his will always brings success. He'll never bring anything into your life but success if you're surrendering to him. So if we want success, we need to embrace that. And those who speak God's will will hear God speak. That's just the way it is. If you want to know what God thinks, he will tell you if you're patient. This kind of leads us to our next passage. Uh, Samuel, when Samuel was called by the Lord, it's a great illustration. Look at Samuel 3.1. He says, Now, the boy Samuel was ministering. Uh, to the Lord before Eli. And word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. Jesus was a really young man, so he wasn't real familiar with how God worked yet. Right? Now, he was dedicated as a child. His mother dedicated him as a child to the preaching. But he's been around it a long time, even though he was young. He grew up around serving God and people serving God. But at this point, he had never had a personal revelation from God. Remember, usually it was coming through other people. He never had a personal revelation. Now most most historians believe that Samuel was twelve years old when the events of chapter three took place. That should make you think a little about your children and how important of a ministry they can have. Twelve years old. God was calling it. He was twelve years old. Right? And reason being, God speaks to those who reach out to him. And at this time, not many people were seeking his advice, so God hadn't spoken in a long time. Right? There's a time when, this is a time in history when people just kind of drifted away. Does that sound familiar? I mean, they drifted away from God. God became a, a, a subject of discussion, not a lifestyle. Right? This is a difficult time. But, as Samuel was about to find out, when God decides it's time to talk, He will find the people who are listening. He will find you. Every time. It never fails. So, after a day of serving in the temple with Eli, they went to go to bed. First Samuel 3, starting verse 2. It it happened uh, that uh, time as Eli was laying down in his place, now his eyesight had begun to grow dim, and he could not see well. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord uh, where the ark of God was. That the Lord called Samuel and said, Here I am. I'm sorry. Uh, that the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for so you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went to lay down. The Lord called yet again. Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called for me. But he answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Does that make you think when kids are coming up with excuses to not go to bed? Eli's probably going, Don't make me get out of this bed, Samuel. If I get up, like my dad used to say, they're going to take us both to the hospital to pull my foot out of your hand. I'm just saying. I to say. Yeah, different family. Anyway, And he said, so he went to lay down. Verse 6. Then he yelled uh, again, Samuel. Then the Lord called it yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, For you called me. Then he answered, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not know the Lord, uh, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for a third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, For you called for me. Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling him. Now, God called to Samuel, but since he's never heard God before, he just thought it was Eli. So he goes to Eli and says, here I am. And that's the equivalent of saying, at your service. And you see that in the Bible, where it says, here am I, or here I am. It's the equivalent of us saying, what can I do for you? I'm here, at your service. That's basically what that means. But Eli was like, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. That happened three times. But the third time, Eli realized that it was God who was calling Samuel. So after the third time... Eli gave him specific instructions on how to answer God. Look at this, 1 so Samuel 39. He said, And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you, that you shall say, Speak, Lord, to your servant is with you. So Samuel went to lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called as the other time, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, Speak to your servant is with you. You know, sometimes in our efforts to stay busy for God, we forget to be attentive. You ever notice that? Sometimes we're in our efforts to stay busy for God we forget to be attentive to God. I mean, we make sure we go to church whenever it's possible, right? Uh, We pray before our meals and pray before bed, right? And that's something we feel like we should do. We make sure we get involved with missions and ministries and outreaches and we we're all good. But somewhere in all of our busy time, we forget to take the time to just hear God. To just hear God. And hearing God begins with calling on Him in prayer. That's how you hear God. You're not going to find burning bushes anywhere, okay? If they do, they probably won't talk to you. You can stand and wait, but it's probably not going to talk to you, right? It's through prayer and reading that we have that communion with God, right? So hearing God begins with calling on you in prayer. And who knows? I mean, maybe the things we're staying busy at, maybe those aren't the things God wants you doing. You've been so busy, you haven't asked. Maybe those aren't the things God wants you doing. Now, I'm not saying any of the things that I mentioned are bad. Those are good things. All three of them are good things. But you have to remember something. Okay? There are three very important things to remember here. First, serving God begins with knowing God. Serving God begins with knowing God. Okay? How can you serve God if you don't understand how to serve God? Right? There has to be a relationship there so you can understand. You know, remember when you developed your relationship with your spouse? You guys remember that? I know journey. was Germany. I like seven years ago. But I mean, the rest of you probably remember, but when you first developed that relationship, you know how you were so attentive to everything? you guys remember that? The ladies going, I remember answering that in 20 years. You know what I'm talking about? You know how you paid careful attention to what flour they like, what candy they like, what restaurant they like. 20 years later, you're going, i no know you pick. I'll know you picked Right? But back then, you paid attention to every word she said, every word he said. Right? and you try to get to know them on a different level, a more personal level, you were very attentive to them. If you want to know how to serve God, you've got to know Him like that. And You know Him like that through prayer and through reading. That's how you get to know God like that. The second thing is important to remember is knowing God begins with seeking God. Okay, seeking God. And seeking doesn't mean simply looking for something. They're not synonymous. Seeking and looking are not always synonymous. Seeking means seriously pursuing something we're passionate about. That's what seeking means. Seriously pursuing something you are passionate about. You have a desire to find what you are seeking. That's what that word means. Right? And third, seeking God begins with prayer. And prayer isn't about just talking to God. It's also about listening to God. You know, sometimes I think we have the false assumption that prayer is a one-way street. But how many times have you been praying and God... Start speaking to you while you're praying. And I'm not talking. He came down and sat down and poured a cup of coffee. I'm talking. You can tell he's answering as we're coming. Anybody ever experienced that? Especially when you know he's telling you to do something you don't want to do. You pretend you don't hear him. You know, Lord, should I make it right with my family? And God's going, I think you should. La 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 la. So I make it right with my family? Please say no. La, la, la. You don't want to hear it. Sometimes he's telling us. We just don't want to hear it. But prayer is two ways. When you speak, God listens, and God answers, and now it's your kingdom. Right? Now, Eli knew that there are times when people just can't recognize uh, when God speaks to him. You I mean, that's pretty, pretty normal. But here's the thing. See, the Jews were very religious. You're probably wondering, how can you have in the temple that Samuel all that time and not knowing God? Well, the Jews were very religious people. They were very religious Right, Religion isn't a good thing, but they're very religious. Right? They like to follow rules. But they, despite being religious, they weren't always the most spiritual people. Right, Samuel has spent his young life serving God in the temple, but there's a difference between fulfilling religious obligations and worship. Okay, I don't know if you've ever gone to a church where when you go, you feel like you're fulfilling your religious obligation. You come to church, you take communion this many times, and you fill out your offering slip. You make sure you're not late for women's groups. There's all these things you're not late for men's groups. You know, those are the things you try to do because those are lists you can check off. Right? Those are lists you can just check off. There's a difference. That's fulfilling religious obligations. You didn't see that in worship. See, fulfilling religious obligations is like checking items off a grocery list. That's what it's like. And the anticipated outcome of fulfilling religious obligations is always self-service. Right? Because the thought process when you're fulfilling religious obligations is like this. If I do this, God will bless you. That's your thought. I go to church this many times a week because I want God to bless me. I take communion because I want God to bless me. There's nothing wrong with wanting that. That can't be your only driving force, right? It's usually self-service, right? But worship is about feeling or expressing or an expression uh, of reverence and adoration for God. It's, it's like, hard to explain. You, you desire to be in His presence. You have this adoration, this thankfulness, this gratefulness. You want to be in God's presence. The difference is when you worship, it's about an expression of reverence and adoration for God. And the anticipated outcome of worship isn't self-serving, it's self surrender There's a difference. If you're worshiping God, you're surrendering to Him. It's not about you. It's about Him. You're serving Him. And the thought process in worship is I want to do this because he has blessed me already. That's why you worship. You're not worshiping to, to entice God into blessing your life. You worship God because he's worthy of it, which is what worship is about, one being worthy, right? You worship God because if he's done nothing else for you, he's already blessed you enough right now. You would do it anyway. I've asked this question to so many people. Would you still be thankful if the only thing God did in your life was deliver you from hell? Would that be enough? Right? Well, So if you believe that, if you believe that you having eternal life is the greatest gift he could ever give you, then you should be powerful in worship because you should be worshiping him for what he's already done, not hoping he's going to do something else. Right? The fact that he gave you eternal life, he doesn't owe me anything. If he wants me to be impoverished the rest of my life, which I think he does, (laughs) you know, if he, want, if he wants me to live here, live there, do what he I'm going to do it. Because you know what? If he does nothing else for me, he's done enough already. He's worthy of my worship. That's the difference, right? Now you may be wondering why God spoke to Samuel that night and not Eli. I've heard a lot of people say that. Well, first of all, Eli was a priest. Okay? Samuel was a prophet. Eli was a priest and Samuel was a prophet. Priests are representatives of people before God. They represent the people to God. Okay? Prophets are, represent, are representatives of God to the people. They represent God to the people. They take God's will to the people. And remember, there were no significant prophets active at the time that Samuel was called. The priests offer the appropriate sacrifices and offerings to God on behalf of the people, but prophets reveal uh, what God has to offer people and what he expects from them. That's the difference. You know what the bonus is? In Jesus, we get both. Because he was the last priest, the last high priest. Because the sacrifice he made was eternal. So he's our high priest. He represents us. He's the mediator between man and God. He also brings God's will. God's will to us. He's the priest and the prophet. Right? Now, in Samuel and Eli, God had the ability to reach out to man and to have man reach out to him. Well, in Jesus, since he came, died, and rose again and became our best and last prophet and priest, we have that ability in him. We, we only have to bow a knee to shoot God. We get direct access to God. Do you know what the people in the Old Testament would have done to have that? Very few of them did. They couldn't just kneel by their bedside at night and speak directly to God with any assurances because that's not how it worked yet. You see what I mean? They would have loved to have the opportunity that we all have right now. They would have loved to be able to enjoy open and direct access to the throne of God. And sadly, all believers today have that ability, but very few of us use it as we should. Very few of us use it the way we should. And we have such a great gift. Listen to how the psalmist described the power mankind has in prayer. Psalm 143, starting in verse 10, he says, Teach me to do your will. You can keep God's will. You are my God. Let Your good Spirit lead me on level ground. For the sake of Your name, O oh Lord, just, uh, revive me in Your righteousness. Bring my soul out of trouble. And in Your loving kindness cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am Your servant. He prayed to God with this, with this confidence that God was able to handle every facet of his life. We have the ability to have that, and we don't take advantage of it. We're blessed to have a personal line to divine guidance from the throne of God. We can do that the prayer way, anytime we want. And we don't have to make big decisions or tackle life's big decisions alone anymore, because we have direct access to the throne. Can you imagine how much different things would have been if each person of the children of Israel had time to pray for themselves about the direction the nation was going? Do you think it would have went in that direction? If they all had that ability, we do. And we're not using it like we should. All we have to do is ask for God's advice and wait for him to reveal his answer. Look at James 1.5. It says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach. And, 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 it will be given to him, right? But he must ask in, in faith. He must ask in faith without any doubting. Do you know praying can become a religious obligation? Do you know that? Have you ever been praying and realized two minutes in you will have any idea what you've been saying? Have you been thinking about what you left the stove on? Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever fall asleep praying? People always say, that's a good thing. I'm like, keep Right? At least you're praying. I'm not going <laughs> to knock it. But think about it. There are times that prayer can become a religious obligation. We're not praying in faith. Why didn't God answer Because you weren't even thinking about it when you prayed it. Why didn't God give attention to my prayer? I don't know. Maybe it's because you were thinking about the score of the game when you were praying. You were praying because you were obligated to, not praying because you wanted to find out what God's will for your life is. There is a big difference. You know, most of the time, and I shouldn't even go off on the tangent, but I'm going to. Um, you know, most of the time, most of the time when we pray, we're not saying, God, show me your will. We're saying, God, find a way to make my will work. I don't want to do it your way, God. I don't like that guy. I don't want to be nice to him. I don't want them coming over to my house. I'm going to lock the door and pretend I'm not home. You know what I mean? These are the prayers that you make to God. God, make my way work. Instead of God, let me embrace your way. Let your way be what moves you take off it, but you must ask in faith without any doubting for the one who doubts is like the serpent of the sea driven and tossed by the wind for so that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord being double minded being a double minded man unstable in all his ways so that's a sincere prayer a sincere prayer is I need to know I'm coming to you God and I'm waiting for your answer when you give me I'll move that's a sincere answer and prayer is that simple when you believe it that simple when you go before God saying, I'm coming to you because you're my best shot all the time. You're the best shot I have of success all the time. That's why I'm coming to you. I'm not asking you to do anything. I, I know you can do everything I'm asking you to do. So I'm asking you, if this is your will, do it, and I'll embrace it. If it's not, I'll learn to live without it. But either way, I want your will, God, and God answers that. He always answers that. Right? So what does your prayer look like? I'm running out of time here, but let me give you an example. Uh, one of the things Jesus prayed about I think is one of most sincere prayers. Luke 22, starting verse 39. It says, and it came out uh, and proceeded as he was as accustomed to the Mount of Olives. Uh, I have new contacts. You guys are going to have to ba- bear with me here. They're not moving with my eyeballs. Okay. And he came out and proceeded as was custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at that place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them About bought a stone's throw, and knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood, falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now notice Jesus didn't drop to his knees and start spewing off his groceries to God. Notice that. He recognized God's deity in this prayer. He reverenced God's power in this prayer, and then he humbly made his petition. This is what prayer is supposed to be. right? He closed with the words, most believers are too afraid or stubborn to utter. He said, yet not my will, but your will be done. Has anybody here ever been afraid to pray that? Be honest. There are times I get ready to pray, and I really know how I want the situation to turn up. You know what I mean? But to be spiritual, which is actually just religious, I pray and say, God, I pray that whoever's feeding at that deer down the tree line misses. And it comes to, no, But literally, I can't tell you how many times I pray thinking, this is my will. God's got to like it. I'll pray because that's what Christians say. We do, and I'll do it. But if he doesn't say yes, I'm going to do it anyway. That's kind of our prayer, isn't it? It's not, not my will, but yours be done. He said, here's what I want. The human side of him did not want to die. But he says, I want your will. I don't want my will to be a consideration. I want your will to be a consideration. So the closing uh, to Jesus' prayer was Jesus revealing what prayer is ultimately about. It's about it's about man seeking God and God revealing himself and his will to man. Right? That's what prayer is. If you want to have things revealed to you in prayer, here's how that happens. Honestly, seek Him. Don't look for Him. Seek Him. That means passionately look for Him. Have a desire to see Him move in your life. Surrender to it and be willing to hear yes and be willing to hear no. That's what prayer is about. And every time I read sections like this and people go, oh, I wish it was like that now. I wish that God would call out to me and He was, his hand, his hand. The question is a listen. Do you take the time to close everything down and just pray? When's the last time you said, "I want to pray about what?" Nothing. I just want to pray because if there's one person I need to talk to, how many times growing up did you just want to talk to me? How many times growing up did you just want to talk to dad? And if you knew it may not solve all your problems, but you knew it make you feel good right then. You know what I mean? That's the attitude we need to have. I don't know what to pray for, but I know something isn't right, and I know he's in control of all things, so I'm going to surrender to him, and I'm going to take this time to be in prayer. When's the last time you've done it? As we enter this new step of, of faith, I hope we're doing a lot more. Because I'm telling you right now, and I'll close with this, if I'm the only one that's excited here, I'm excited. And I'm going to tell you, in one year, you're going to be stunned what God's going to do with this you. church. I've seen it. I believe it with all my heart. I hope you believe it with me. But here's one thing you can be doing with me. I'm going to go ahead and close it and ask you what to think about your head. If this is your first time, we always like to give a brief invitation. So while every head is the this is your first time, And you like us to pray for you? Listen, I don't chase you down. I don't ask you to come up front. I don't call you. I don't ask you to give you stuff. Junk mail. I just want to pray for it. So make eye contact and put your head right back down, whatever the thing may be, and not bless the people. And I will be praying. Maybe you're not feeling the same Lord, or you're just not getting through bless the people. And I will be praying. Believers, for us, I always pray the same thing. I dream about a time when believers step up, put their faith first and everything else second, and really live our lives the way God wants us to. When we get serious about prayer, we're going to get serious about something. Pray. God, I thank you so much for the love and mercy you've shown us, especially in your grace. Every day, I'm reminded why we need to do this. Because I just can't be good. No matter how hard I try, I still get angry. I take things I shouldn't. I hold grudges sometimes. There's things in my life that seems like I can't stop doing. And you knew it. You knew it. it. no matter how hard you tried, we could never be righteous. So you simply can't be righteous for us. The only way we would ever enter into heaven is if we did it through his righteousness and that's what you prepared them. So for someone that doesn't know you, whatever's holding them back, just remove it from them. Remind them that Jesus died because he knew you couldn't be good enough and he still had a passion to be with us. So now all we have to do is believe that what he did was enough to go into our it and And the word of God's promises you have i make that decision. That's they can practice believers, please, Lord, give the believers a passion. A passion to faith. A passion to share how you change our lives. A passion to give people the answers to their questions. And the answer is you. Let us show them how good you are. Don't, don't let us get sidetracked and caught up on all the arguments and differing and just like you know, separating and you don't want to get involved in that gap. That's somebody else's problem. You want us to be involved with sharing our lives. people are lost so that they might see We thank you for all that you do. We ask you go with it, to keep it and keep us safe. If you don't return to take us home before we meet again, let us come together one more time. We give you all the praise say and say, We ask you to